Welcome to the Marvelous Cinema Podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Henry. I am your other co-host, Matthew. And yeah, today we are talking about blockbusters and what makes a great blockbuster and examples of our favourites. Um, but before that, as we promised last week, <laughs> we are we're doing essentially a live reaction, I guess, via me, of uh, the news of the week because... News of the week. <laughs> news of the week. One day we'll get music. Uh, <laughs> until then, it's just us going, news of the week, news of the week. <laughs> mm-hmm. Just you wait to see what else I've got on my sleeve. <laughs> right. Uh, but yeah, I so just like as a context thing, I just, at the moment don't have social media, and therefore if I do get news, it's through friends or maybe Google News, but even that's like a bit all over the place. <laughs> um, so I have no idea what's really going on. Uh Mm-hmm. So yeah, oh yeah. Before that, just to let you know that we do have a Instagram account at Marvelous Cinema Podcast. Uh, we're doing reviews, doing some lists. Uh, obviously, doing the podcast as well. So yeah, give us a follow there if you want to check that out. But yeah, do you want to get start with the first big piece of news? Because you've promised me great things from this one. <laughs> I have, I have, I've promised you great things. First of all, um, the people may have noticed, but we are using new equipment. That's the first bit of news. Yeah. <laughs> If we sound different, that's why. Hopefully, we sound better. Maybe we don't. Who knows? <laughs> you know, gotta try these things. We've upgraded slightly, <laughs> but that's that's not the news that everyone's here for, mm. is it? I'm assuming not. <laughs> um. So, without further ado, um, I think last week I asked you uh, which universe or which kind of area to go to first for the news. Mm-hmm. Um. This week, I'm kind of gonna. I'm going to decide for myself. Oh, okay. And <laughs> I suppose the biggest piece of news this week um, comes from DC. So we'll start off with DC first. Mm-hmm. And that initial bit of news is that DC Films, as it's now called, has found its Kevin Feige. <laughs> right, okay. Is it Kevin Feige? Um, well, funny you should ask that. Oh. They did ask him. Did they? Yeah. Oh, um, reports from where's the where, where's the little source thing? Who said it? Um, so David Zaslav, so the president or CEO of Warner Brothers Discovery, okay. did ask Kevin Feige. Uh, he politely declined, is what the article says, <laughs> <laughs> and that's from above the line. That's very. But I suppose that's very the big Kevin news. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the big news is who they did get, and it's two people. Okay, two. The first one is Peter Safran. I've heard that name before. Um, he will handle everything business-wise. Okay. However, the other person who will handle everything creative is James Gunn. Oh, really? Yeah, oh, James Gunn. That's great. Co-CEO, co-chairman of the newly rebranded DC Films. That is a great four-year deal. Okay, right. Uh, it means he will be exclusive to DC for the duration of that deal. Right. Wow. Okay, that's good. Yeah. I like that. That's a good that's, that's a good big. choice, yeah. Do you think that's a good big. choice? I think it's a very sensible choice. Mm-hmm. I feel like he has um, the ability to I feel like he has the, the 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 knowledge to bring about like really great adaptations of the iconic iconic characters, but I feel like he'll also he'll green light a lot more weird things. <laughs> and that's mm. what DC are very good at when they get a chance to do it. So I hope that's what happens with that. Yeah, I think it opens the door quite wide. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the current stuff going on, I don't think he's going to oversee. Right. Um, somewhere I did say that he's not going to oversee um, 
the Joker sequel. <laughs> right. Okay. And he's and he's not going to oversee the um, what Matt Reeves is doing, mm-hmm. which is um, the Batman. More Batman. More Batman. More Batman. Yeah. <laughs> um, there is a bit of news on that as well. Okay. Um, but you know, for the main part, James Gunn, it's exciting stuff, um, especially coming off the back of. Henry Cavill being back as Superman. I know. Yeah, I did see that. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that does tie into another bit of news that we'll get to later. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, I don't know if you've heard that. That is that is a corker, by the way. Ah, uh, that's either worrying or exciting. I can't tell the tone of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but yeah, James Gunn has also said that this doesn't mean he'll be out of the running for directing things. He will be directing projects still as well. Okay, that's good. Well, how does do we know how? The Marvel people feel about that, like he's kind of jumped over. <laughs> Apparently, Kevin Feige is very happy. Okay, okay. Um, James Gunn was asked, and he said that Kevin Feige was the first person that he called. <laughs> um, and contrary to popular belief, they are both wanting both of them to succeed. Mm. I suppose this does kind of line up with the idea that some people were saying that maybe one day there'll be like a Marvel DC crossover. That is, yeah, that is like. The closest, like two best friends, essentially making different universes. That yeah, yeah. that's what the situation is now. So it's not unlikely because before you're dealing with so many people that don't really get it. <laughs> that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I also yeah, you're right in the sense that um, I think people it's fun in kind of like a almost like a sports like a fantasy league sort of way to be like DC versus Marvel in terms of like the studios. Yeah. But in in reality, it's more like you know, you want the genre overall to succeed because most, if not, you know, quite a big, at least a big chunk of people going to the cinemas to see these films aren't aware of necessarily who's DC and who's Marvel. So Mm. if they see a bad DC movie or a a bad Marvel movie, they're going to be like, oh, superhero movies suck and the bubble's going to burst. So Mm. I think both studios would rather that both were making good movies um, than just one. Absolutely. Yeah. Because, like, yeah. yeah, it's fun to have, like, Marvel's better than DC or DC's better than Marvel, but really, you just want to have good of both things, really. <laughs> um, you do. Yeah. Definitely. And apparently, I haven't actually seen, uh, I don't know if you have, but uh, the the latest DC film, Black Adam, but... I've seen it. Have you? Uh, mm. What's your opinion on it? I haven't seen it, so... <laughs> um, it, it It's fine. <laughs> it's, I... I didn't love it. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't offended by it. <laughs> That's kind of where, 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 where I am with it. Is it like... The score's great. I love the score. Oh, right, okay. I've... Um, it kind of... It's very Snydery. Snydery. <laughs> um, it's got a lot of slow motion action sequences. Is it a bit edgy? Action's very repetitive, and I have to be honest, characters leave a lot to be desired. <laughs> right. Is it um, is it essentially like most The Rock movies where it's fine, <laughs> it's harmless, <laughs> kind of yeah, yeah yeah one of those yeah yeah, yeah. but even like I, was, I think like even from what I gather from the consensus is like people are going out to see it and people are mm. it's kind of a bit of, bit of a hype around it a bit which is I feel like it's been a while for DC that one of their like big superhero things has had that um, aside from the, obviously the main ones like Batman but. Yeah, mm. so it's it's nice to see that. Um, yeah, and obviously, with uh, I have seen the post credit because obviously that leaked almost immediately, <laughs> which was very exciting. Yeah, yeah, it is exciting. Mm. So elsewhere with DC, 
Um, Antonio Campos uh, will direct and serve as showrunner for the Matt Reeves Bat First show centred on Arkham Asylum. Oh, Arkham Asylum. Um, he's previously directed for The Punisher right? and worked on Showcases of the Staircase. Showcases the Staircase? Yeah, it's a, the drama. Colin Firth oh. pushes Tony Collette down the stairs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I saw that um, poster around for a while. Yeah, he worked on that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there's somebody attached to one of the shows at last. <laughs> yeah, because I feel like um, I feel like for a long time we've heard about the Penguin show and all that sort of thing, but mm-hmm. we never really heard like a who's doing it really. Yeah. So it's nice to hear that. <laughs> there, there is somebody on it. Yeah. <laughs> um, elsewhere for sort of HBO, DC's series series stuff, mm-hmm. uh, the Green Lantern series um, has had a significant budget cut. Oh, right. And it's been completely reworked. Oh, okay. Um, it was supposed to se- uh, focus on several members of the Green Lantern Corps, but it will now just focus on John Stewart. Right. So we're just. <laughs> so that's kind of a worrying thing to hear, isn't it? <laughs> mm, yeah, but I guess at least it's kind of. They're not trying to rework what they've already done. They are starting from scratch. Yeah. Which I think's kind of the, the better way to go about it. Than before when they just kind of reshoot around. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, nobody really seems to know what's going on with J.J. Abrams. Yeah. Is he still doing a, some sort of Superman thing? I think he is. There's, is there's he? supposed to be like a, super, like a, a black Superman film going ahead still, I think. And But at the same time, Henry Cavill is actually back and he's going to have a film. Yeah. Right. Yeah, like a Man of Steel 2. Um, I did see somewhere, I haven't written it down so I don't know if it was confirmed, but somewhere I did say, I think, um, is it David Yates? Oh. Looking at for the director? For the Henry Cavill film? Yeah. Okay, that's not, I don't know how I feel about that, but it's not the worst idea, I think. Because um, <laughs> David Yates is a director of uh, the last four Harry Potter films that are mm. generally quite great, but <laughs> the one thing I've seen them do outside of Harry Potter is that Tarzan movie. Um, oh, did he, did he do that? Yeah, and that, that was terrible. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know how he handles uh, non-Harry Potter things. <laughs> I guess we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, James going overseeing it seems to be promising, at the very least. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that's all I've got for DC for the moment. Okay, that's all pretty big. Like it is. It's pretty big, actual... especially sort of James Gunn stuff. Yeah, I feel like. Um, no matter what we hear about DC, we never get like a direction to go in. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. It's always just this is happening and this is dropped and this has come back and whatever. <laughs> so to hear just yeah. like there's a guy who's leading it now is uh, that's good to hear. Yeah, they have they have a vision. Yeah, <laughs> they have. Something. And speaking of vision, oh okay. <laughs> did you do you like to see what I did there? Yeah, I did. <laughs> see what I did there. Um, Disney Plus Vision Quest. Vision Quest. DC, uh, not DC, sorry. Marvel Disney Plus series focusing on White Vision. Oh, okay, right. Um, following WandaVision as he attempts to regain his memory and humanity. Right. Uh, WandaVision's Jack Schaefer will oversee it. Possibility of a cheeky Wanda Maximov appearance. Right, okay. Paul Bettany's also back. Should, should, should say that. It's just like a, it's like a full TV show. Yeah, oh, I think so. okay, right. That's 
I don't know. I don't. I don't think I was expecting a, a standalone sort of vision thing at all going forward. But I don't mind it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a strange one. I think it's come out of nowhere. But there was kind of the question of after he leaves, what's he doing? Yeah, because from memory, he, in Afinale, he literally just has like a bit, bit of a meltdown about who he is and then just flies <laughs> off. <laughs> um, and then the rest of the finale just kind of ignores that that happened. <laughs> um, yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. So yeah, I think. Well, I, yeah, with um, I think what was annoying about that finale for me with the the new vision, I guess, was the the idea that we're losing vision finally, and he's actually going to like, you know, die for real this time, I guess. And but as soon as you introduce like the other vision, you know that's not true because <laughs> it's still Paul Bettany. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, I I don't know. I hope they do something good with it. I think it's it's got potential, but yeah. Do you think it's a a good idea? I don't know. <laughs> I, I think it's kind of inevitable that they're going to focus on this. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't know whether kind of the position the TV stuff was in, whether they were going to go for a full TV show with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but they are, and I think it's sensible to have Schaefer yeah. do it. Yeah. Who did Wonder Vision? Um, yeah, I, I think it's interesting enough. I think cheeky android story regaining humanity and memories yeah it's a classic it's a, I've done it before yeah it's a, it's a tried and tested and successful kind of format yeah um so yeah i'll, I'll anticipate it eagerly do you think this is kind of a, a segue of sort of tangent but uh do you think marvel are going to slow down a bit with the tv shows in the coming future i think they are there was kind of some indication that they were going to shift instead to the the you know, the special presentation stuff mm-hmm. yeah Focus on that instead. Because I, th- um, I feel obviously they still have some series going on like Daredevil. Because um, because they already moved, um, you know, Armor Wars. Yeah, yeah. Don Cheadle. They've changed that from a, from a TV series to a film. Oh, have they? Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm about that now. Wow. Okay, that's yeah. Because I, I think I, I heard it like the, the statistics around it. I guess a while ago, um, but it was getting to the point where a film would be released. And a Disney Plus show would be happening, and it would kind of distract from each other. Mm. And I feel like that's very true. I, I never it happening for like with No Way Home. That was around the time of Moon Knight, maybe Hawkeye. I think it was Hawkeye. Hawkeye, yeah. I remember that was No Way Home really took the wind out of uh, Hawkeye's <laughs> sails because like <laughs> I, I liked that show well, fine enough, but by the time we got to mid December and No Way Home was like about to come out, it. Hawkeye was not on my mind. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so I feel like, yeah, I, I really hope going forward that Marvel just slow down a bit because it's fine. You've got, like, you're in first place. You don't have to, like, overwork yourselves. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, yeah. I think the TV shows are generally good, but I hope they kind of lean more towards two, maybe three movies a year, maybe one show. Um, mm. Something like that would probably work better, I think. Yeah. Well, sort of similarly coming off that, um, there are rumours of a of a Silver Surfer special presentation. Oh, okay, that's good. Um, apparently, maybe before the Fantastic Four film, which is interesting. Hmm. Yeah, because he's like a uh, an unofficial fifth member slash villain. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's kind of a the 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 fifth of the four. Yeah. <laughs> um. But yeah. Um. And we also got a trailer for the Guardians special. Mm-hmm. Oh the yeah, Christmas special. Yeah, so Kevin that. Bacon. I love the look of that. <laughs> Looks good, doesn't it? Yeah, I'm just so excited for like just Christmas this year more than anything. I don't know why. Yeah. And I saw a trailer that 
it doesn't look great, but I saw a trailer for uh, the uh, the Santa Claus sort of TV show, following on from uh, those uh, the free term Island movies. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. I saw that. It didn't look great, but I was like, man, Christmas is coming. <laughs> Christmas is coming back in a big way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I guess the biggest trailer of the last week, Ant Man and the Wasp: Quantum Mania. Yeah, I saw that. We've got a trailer. Yeah, that was. It was a. I like, I like the trailer. It was. I don't know. I. Were you expecting it to be a to be the the darker journey that it kind of looks to like it's going to be? Yeah, I think after after what they've been saying at Comic Con, I expected it to have a bit of a shift. Mm. I didn't expect for that shift to happen so clearly in the trailer. Yeah, because it like like it start it starts off, yay Ant Man, mm-hmm. and then by the end it's this is quite dark. <laughs> yeah, because I feel like if um, if you've been following this podcast for a while, you might have. Uh, caught on that I don't love the Ant-Man movies I think if I'm ranking the MCU they're, they're quite close to the bottom but um, yeah I I don't know I was watching the trailer and the first half was like yeah yeah it's Ant-Man it's doing Ant-Man things again <laughs> um, but yeah that, that tone shift interested me at least I thought because obviously I did I kind of forgot and I realised again that Kang the Conqueror is the next big bag big bag big, mm-hmm. big bad <laughs> um yeah, and he look he looks great, and I hope we'll get to see some more of him in the trailer soon. Because um, I mean, is he like officially the next Thanos? I guess. I think so. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. That's exciting. Um, yeah, people have noticed as well on like the the world in the quantum world realm. There's like symbols on one of the buildings or one of the structures that are the same as the patterns on um, Shang Chi's bracelets or the ten rings oh oh yeah and um Kamala Khan's bracelet oh I'll be connecting like the new mm. Infinity Stones <laughs> yeah I think, I think I think they are I think that's kind of the discussion has been that they're meant to be the next the next round of MacGuffins all right, <laughs> right. um but yeah, I agree I think it it looks really good um so far I also one of the things that one of the random thoughts that struck me after the trailer was how much I think capes suit villains more than heroes. I'm looking forward to having a villain with a cape. Yeah, I know what you mean. It's, it's rare we get that, isn't it? I also, I think I mentioned over text to you that um, I just like the idea that the next big bad is mostly just a really good actor just commanding the scene. Yeah. Like, I'm sure he'll have big yeah. lasers and whatever, but, like, <laughs> I enjoy that so far. Whenever he's shown in the trailers or anything like that, he's just talking to the camera almost. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's just really, like, commanding and a whole... I hope they kind of stick with that idea that he's his main sort of villain like presence is how just good of an actor that guy is. Uh, I think his name is Jonathan Majors. If I'm mm-hmm. right. Yeah. So far, he's looked incredible. Yeah, and he's in that trailer for Creed Three, and he looks he's in, like great there too. He's doing he's doing mm. a lot of villain work, I guess. <laughs> he was excellent in Loki for what he was in Loki for. Mm. I can I fell in love with him then. Yeah, uh, yeah, like that's the perfect example of like that entire finale is on the shoulders of him being great and he he totally like pulls it off yeah just at the end of the day he's kind of just tasked with delivering dialogue but the way he does it is just so entertaining so (laughs) yeah he's just in control he owns that scene i mean that yeah like that entire finale could have been wow we're just sitting down and talking about the plot and the future Mm. of the marvel for like an hour and the fact that it comes out like so well and so engaging and so like genuinely like thrilling is a testament to how good he is and yeah, yeah. I, I can't wait to see like what he actually is going to do with that character. Absolutely. Mm. Um, speaking of things that are hotly anticipated, 
William Jackson Harper has apparently been cast in Quantum Mania. Um, this is this was initially this has got quite a bit of attention initially because um, if you don't know who he is, he was in The Good Place. He's one of the leads in that with um, Kristen Bell. Oh, is he like the the nerd sort of character? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. This this kind of story got quite a lot of traction initially because in a lot of the more kind of off kilter. Fantastic Four fan casts. Mm-hmm. He was quite prominent in them, right? And kind of the connection of it being Quantum Realm and Peyton Reed. Mm-hmm. There, was, there were a few questions about whether this could be our <laughs> oh, Reed Richards. Oh, right. Okay. Um, right. Subsequent in, in, industry insiders have said he's not. <laughs> right. Everybody, calm down. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it was still just interesting that the casting popped up because because all the reports said undisclosed role. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of, hang on a minute, this could be it. <laughs> but it's not, it's not been it. Yeah, I, well, yeah, I find it fascinating because I kind of, I get like along with the hype as well with the, the F4 kind of casting. And mm. it's kind of fascinating how much those films haven't worked in the past. Yet, just the idea of a new person playing that character or any of those characters is like, mm. for some reason, always like big news. <laughs> um, and yeah, I, I agree. Like, I think it's like, I think like that guy would be good though if he turned out to be the character, from what I know of him. Um, I think he would. It'd be interesting at least. I think he can pull off uh, that sort of nerdy sort of <laughs> likability. I think he definitely could as well. Because I think it also um, kind of it was just interesting to see the internet react in a way that was kind of like, "Is this the guy? <laughs> Is this our man? Have we got him? <laughs> After all this time, yeah. but now the search goes on. <laughs> right. I mean, do we know? Uh, is there any official date like set for the the F four movie? There is. Uh, it got moved, but there is. It's twenty twenty four, I think. Oh, right. Okay. Okay. It's not too far away. It was. It was said that Wakanda Forever is supposed to be the last film of Phase Four. Right. So then, I think Fantastic Four is meant to be the first film of Phase Six. So it's quite a way off yet. And Phase Five ends with uh, uh, Secret Wars or Kang. Kang Dynasty. Right. I'm guessing that, um, yeah, Fantastic Four will be in between them, probably. Okay, right. Because, like, generally in the past, um, Secret Wars has had, like, a lot to do with like, Reed Richards. He's been quite influential in it. Mm. Mainly him and Doctor Doom. Yeah, <laughs> right. Um, and interestingly as well, with sort of some of the quantum mania speculation, apparently there was somewhere that said that the place where Kang was living mm-hmm. in the quantum realm has been referred to by some people as uh, Battle World. Uh, which is where yeah. is where Secret Wars is traditionally set. Yeah. The the reason I know that really is just because I know that's where Spider-Man gets his black suit from. Yeah, yeah it is. <laughs> that's all the reason I know it for. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but kinda of, kinda of speaking of, of Black Panther, mm-hmm. the premiere was the other week. Oh right, so it was the like reactions and Yeah. Um I wouldn't normally look at the reactions, but I did for this one. As you'd expect a lot of praise. Right, that's good. It generally is. Um, but it does seem to be a particularly high level of praise. <laughs> Too high, you think? <laughs> no, I think it's like a lot of people are saying that it's quite cathartic and emotional, mm-hmm. quite big in terms of its scale, and successfully kind of ambitious with the scale. Right. A lot of the performances gained a lot of praise, mm-hmm. specifically um, Letitia Wright, Angela Bassett, and um, Tenok Huerta, and Winston Duke got a mention as well. They're kind of the, the oh, and um, Danny Guerrero. Basically, the entire cast. Yeah, but yes. praise for the a lot of praise for the actors and the the cast. Yeah, 
Um, the premiere had one post-credit scene. Right. Bucks the trend. <laughs> and there were rumours before all of this that there would be a Doctor Doom cameo. Oh, okay. The producer, Nate Moore, has said has come out and said there was never any intention of including Doctor Doom. <laughs> so, people of the internet, listen to me. Do not expect a Doctor Doom. <laughs> right. <laughs> Do not go in expecting Doctor Doom. He won't be there. I feel like Marvel is defined by, really defined by, <laughs> Marvel's just defined currently by, Stone, we'll do F4 soon. Just, just let us do this now. <laughs> yeah, let us get to it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> also, apparently, Doctor Doom will not be the main villain of the Fantastic Four film. Right, well, I guess I was kind of expecting that because I, I just think he's been overused for the the mm-hmm. free live action like films cause, and he's been done to like middling to bad degrees <laughs> so <laughs> I feel like for general public they just, they just don't want to see a trailer and see that character again because <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. it kind of gives them sort of the bad vibes of the previous one <laughs> um, um, I, I think I think it'd be a mistake to not include him but at the same time I think it's also a very sensible decision for him to not be like the main villain yeah I feel like they'll probably use him as some sort of like like maybe a Harry Osborn type where he's like a friend of Reed Richards who's in the background for a bit. Yeah. yeah. I think it's also likely we'll get something specifically with him, mm. like like a solo series or a solo film. Yeah. And mainly because he is just such a huge character for Marvel. Yeah. And it's crazy that like we're like, I don't know, 40, 30-something films and TV shows into the Marvel Cinematic Universe and we've yet to get like Doctor Doom. <laughs> it's mm. crazy. Yeah, he is... Generally, like he is considered DC, uh, not DC, Marvel's like biggest villain. Mm. He's like I, would, um, I always hear he's like talked about as like Marvel's Darth Vader almost. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there's a lot, of, a lot, of, a lot of truth to that comparison. Yeah. One last bit of Marvel news: there's like a dubious leak from a from a YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's got a bit of traction. Uh, it basically says that um, there are several TV MA projects planned for Disney Plus with Marvel. Oh, right. Which is the TV equivalent of R. Is one of them going to be Daredevil? Or? Maybe. Um, mm. I don't think much of that's established, but um, mm. there were like the rumours that John Bernthal's coming back from it, and in the past he has said that he just won't return unless it's handled the same as it was for the Disney films. Yeah. Not the Disney films. Netflix. The Netflix films, yeah. uh, series. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I feel like... Marvel and Disney, are, I think I feel like they can't help but uh, they can't ignore it now that sometimes they need to have a, an R-rated sort of thing going on. Because mm. I mean, it's not it's not like you can't do a Punisher or uh, a Wolverine without having R-rated. It, you can do it, but I feel like just for variations, like sort of sake, it's nice to have like a corner of Marvel that's a bit more like grizzly, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. So I, I hope they kind of allow themselves to have that amount of room to kind of play around because I feel like it's otherwise it's just a bit stifling to just be like you can't do <laughs> you can't have Wolverine say the f word or anything like that. <laughs> yeah, I think it makes sense a lot of what they're doing, um, especially considering I think they all know they'll get they'll get destroyed if they make Daredevil PG thirteen. Yeah, this is the thing with me. I, I don't want to be that guy who's like it's got to be R rated, but. Hmm. Um, with Daredevil, I just I can't help but loving that Netflix series so much. I can't help but imagine if it is PG, it does take away a certain an element of uh, 
it just takes something away from it a bit for me. Um, that I feel like I don't. I mean, I don't know. I haven't actually seen uh, She Hulk recently, um, mm. so I have no idea how he's handled. I think I watched like one or two scenes, and I thought it was. <laughs> I thought he did quite well. I thought he surprisingly fit quite well into the Marvel sort of humor and a different sort of tone. Um, I do agree. I think he fits quite well. Yeah, which didn't surprise me because I just thought Charlie Cox as, as an actor can. He's, he is very um, versatile. He can do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just hope when he gets his own solo story that it's it's a Daredevil story and not just a Marvel story, I guess. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I'm hoping that they kind of... I hope that there are some parts of the universe that get that allowance. I, th- I think it's kind of highly likely as kind of the universe expands that we will. Yeah. But yeah, that leak does seem to indicate we will. That kind of draws a line under Marvel for today. Okay. Uh, we're on to the next number three. We're on to Star Wars. <laughs> right. Um, firstly, M.I.S. Fandy, who was recently reported to have signed on for Ahsoka as Ezra Bridger, mm-hmm. is apparently getting his own solo series. Oh, okay, right. Um, after Ahsoka, I assume. Yeah. Um, interesting. I think a lot of people expected that if Ezra's story was going to continue, it would be animation again. Mm-hmm, yeah. Um there do seem to be some plans for animation with things like the Bad Batch and um, Tales of the Jedi. I don't know if you've seen that. Yeah, I I watched one of those and thought I'll just do this one and then I'll like do something else. And then I watched the entire thing because <laughs> <laughs> it's really fun and really like they're very short, so you can kind of just like have them and just be like, yeah, that was good, yeah. and then move on to the next one. Um, yeah, they are. I, I did enjoy them. Yeah, really um, good. But yeah, apparently this this casting is live action. Elsewhere, other big sort of Star Wars news. Um, oh. This is the this is the thing I, I shared with you earlier because it's kind of something we know about a little, mm-hmm. and it's that Damon Lindelof will write a Star Wars film. Right. Yeah. It will be directed by Shamin uh, Abed Shinoy. Uh, <laughs> I hope I haven't butchered that. I apologise if I have. <laughs> He'll also produce it. Uh, interesting part of this: it will be set after the Rise of Skywalker. Oh, um, I love that idea. Yeah, it will not be a continuation of the Skywalker saga, but they uh-huh. may bring some of the characters back. Right. Okay, that's very exciting. Because um, I, I don't know if you agree, but give me the give me the Ray Solo series. <laughs> I mean that. Yeah, that's kind of what I was going towards. Because uh, yeah. well, well, I feel like it'll be a while till we'll get like an episode ten or whatever. But mm. I feel like I feel like those characters are like are just ready to have in the next couple of years or so, I feel like they're ready to have their extension beyond those three films. Um, mm. That it seems like every character gets all, almost <laughs> with Star Wars. Um, especially the yeah. Clone, Clone Wars and then now Mandalorian of Luke Skywalker. You, everyone gets their, like, their a bit more the in-between core sort of thing. Um, so yeah, I, I, yeah, the idea of a film that deals with anything post uh, the sequel trilogy is just, just naturally very exciting for me because... Uh, mm. Definitely. For myself, it's the, my favorite sort of era, and um, yeah, I just yeah, I just want to see more of that era and around that time and after that time. Yeah, absolutely. Hmm. Yeah, it's where I want to see stuff made. <laughs> imagine, imagine a character being like, "Oh, Rick Skywalker, what a legend!" <laughs> <laughs> like that's what I want. Like I want that's the dream. Yeah, I want that character to have that sort of Luke Skywalker level of like, "Oh my god, the, the myth" sort of thing. <laughs> I keep my fingers crossed every day for that. 
<laughs> Me too. Um, that brings sort of the general franchise news to an end. Mm-hmm. Um, so from here we've got a little bits of a bit of bits of news. Uh, trailer for Avatar: The Way of the Water. A new one. Yeah, apparently. Oh, um, okay. We also got an indicator of the runtime. Uh-huh. Early estimates place it at three hours and eleven minutes. That's not surprising. <laughs> um, they have said that it's not nailed down, but that it will be over three hours. Uh, yeah, I, I I kind of expected something like that. Um, yeah, because it's it's James Cameron. It's his weird Avatar series. It's going to be, it's going to do what it wants to do. <laughs> it is. Um, speaking of James Cameron, he has been the latest director to throw a bit of shade at Marvel and DC. Oh, uh-huh, right. He says their characters aren't grounded in real emotion and they act like they're in college. <laughs> right. <laughs> no further context. Just pop. He t- took a shot mm. and walked away. <laughs> I think he just said that to the mirror and someone was recording yeah. it by chance. <laughs> uh, he, he didn't know it was one of them like, detective mirrors. Yeah, yeah, two-way mirror thing. Meanwhile, over at Sony, Kelly Marcel will direct Venom 3. Oh, wow, okay. She previously wrote the scripts for the first two films. This kind of little bit of news uh, has been floating around. I wanted to mention it because it kind of links with what our topic for the rest of the podcast is going to be. Um, and that is that Mike Flanagan, sort of the creator of various Netflix horror series as well as the director of Doctor Sleep, mm-hmm. has talked about how his dream project would be to adapt Stephen King's Dark Tower books. Ooh, okay, right. I haven't seen the film. I have read some of the books. I'm some of the way through the books. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a creative challenge, as they've admitted, but it's also a bit of a rights nightmare. <laughs> right, okay. Um, because it connects to various Stephen King books. Yeah, it's kind of like the, I don't know, like, I don't want to put it like the, the center of everything in Stephen King's books, like mm. very weirdly, yeah. like a sci-fi sort of thing. Yeah, he was he was Mister Shared Universe before people even knew that shared universes were a thing. Yeah, I see. I've seen those like diagrams of like things like connect <laughs> to like The Shining to whatever else and stuff like that, and it's like. It's somehow way more complicated than anything like Marvel. <laughs> mm-hmm, it is. It's and it's not even direct. It's like people have created that based on descriptions he's given of certain characters. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, and that brings us to our last piece of news. Mm-hmm. Prepare yourself. Oh, okay. This this came up on my feed, and I genuinely thought it was a joke. <laughs> right. It's not right. I'm worried. Do you watch The Witcher? Oh, okay. Yeah, I do. Yeah, you do. Yeah, yeah. this is going to be even better. <laughs> um, so season four has been confirmed to be happening. Mm-hmm. However, Henry Cavill will leave as Geralt of Rivia. What? His replacement is Liam Hemsworth. <laughs> Liam Hemsworth is Geralt. <laughs> yeah. Um. I don't want to be rude. <laughs> I'm sure he's he'll do fine, but uh, that's different. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't like. Why is he leaving? <laughs> the uh, theory is uh, Superman. That makes sense. Um, wow. Yeah. So you you win one, and you, you lose the other. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's sad. Um, that's a the sad. The internet thing. is in flames. I imagine. Yeah, I imagine that's uh, that's upsetting news. <laughs> I just. I just couldn't believe it. <laughs> yeah, because he's like, he's like perfect in that show. Um, mm, he is. He's great. Yeah, I I genuinely like struggle to imagine that show without him in it. That's like amazing. Like the idea that 
he's just gone. That's weird. I guess if I had to pick between the two of them, I would rather have him as Clark Kent back. But yeah, uh, yeah, Liam Hemsworth really. <laughs> I mean, um, they're coming to the end of filming for season three, I think. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I I find it hard to see Liam Hemsworth in that role, but I imagine if both Henry Cavill and the creative team behind that show have went, yeah, he he can he can do it. Mm. And who am I to say no? But like, yeah, it's a bit. In my opinion, a, a bit of a da- downgrade. <laughs> um, do you, it, it's just a strange. It's just so strange. Yeah. Do you? How do you feel about it, really? <laughs> I'm just confused. <laughs> I mean, I don't mean to not castings because you know there have been a lot of castings that people have been appalled by and have ended up being mm. really popular versions of that character. Yeah. Yeah. I know people complained about Daniel Craig being James Bond. Yeah. People complained about. I don't know, I'm I'm pretty sure people complained about Henry Cavill being Superman. Probably, and Hugh Jackman as Wolverine. Um, and, and Yeah, that, yeah. yeah. Heath Ledger. People thought he was too tall, yeah. yeah. Um, and they, they've proven people wrong, mm. so maybe that'll be the case again. Yeah, I mean... I think it's it just so shocking because it's come out of nowhere, there have been no rumours beforehand. Yeah. It's just happened, it's happened suddenly, yeah. and it was such a it was such an ideal casting beforehand because, if I'm honest... Mm-hmm. Um, I thought Henry Cavill carried that show in places. Uh, I totally agree. I feel like he was a character who, if he didn't exist and it wasn't performed in that way, the show might be a bit murky. Kind of, it's mm-hmm. it's a good show, but I feel like he is the centre of it. Um, yeah. Yeah. So the change. It. I mean, the one thing I will say is I I feel like I feel like I feel good for Liam Hemsworth as like a guy because, I mean, he his career is a good career, but I feel like he's missed out on a lot of like big things that could have defined his career. Yeah, um, true. And he's had this brother who's <laughs> he's been in Marvel and whatever for like 10 years straight. Um, so I feel like it's nice that he's getting like this break, I guess, um, despite already being popular, but like getting a, yeah. a, a, a like a nice little sort of a, a break and I hope he does well. Um, I think he will. I think he has, I don't think he'll like be lazy about it, you know, like he's going to try his best. Oh, definitely. Yeah. It's just, yeah, it's very sudden. I, I didn't really imagine that's what this news was going to be. <laughs> I genuinely thought it was like a mock tweet. <laughs> yeah. And that brings us to the end of the news. I've left you with a corker there. Yeah, I'm a bit bewildered. <laughs> um, I, I guess we do the actual topic now, but yeah, it feels disrespectful to Henry Cavill. <laughs> so I guess, yeah, to brighten things up, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. with today, yeah, the, the topic of our uh, main discussion is just uh, blockbusters. Um, we all love them. You know, we all have our favourites, and we do. We just came in to this podcast with a few examples of our favourites and kind of the the ingredients that make a a particularly good blockbuster. Because mm-hmm. if you don't make a good one, it can it can be kind of catastrophic. Yeah, catastrophic. Yeah. Um. So, do you want to get started with your first one? Your kind of your first kind of example of what makes a good one, I guess. Um, I guess it's kind of stemming from several different ones, um, but kind of the first thing that... Well, it's not necessarily the first thing I came to, but I think it's just something that's kind of worth talking about is a concept that shows an audience something new. And it can be frustrating to hear in its simplicity because it, it is infuriating from like anybody who's a writer or creative, kind of the, the feedback that anyone's told is, yeah, you just have to make it new. <laughs> yeah. And there is there is nothing more <laughs> more vague yeah. in the instruction than that. 
Yeah. And it's something that kind of has to be present in any story that gets told. But if you're wanting people to go and see a film and see a spectacle, and you want people to flock to go and see it and even rewatch it, mm-hmm. it's got to be something... You've got to have that concept that is bold and attracts new people. Mm-hmm. Um, you, sort of, you think about examples of it, like you've got Star Wars, mm-hmm. and perhaps one of the biggest ones is The Matrix. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's one of the biggest sort of high concept blockbusters around. Mm-hmm. Jurassic Park's another good example, I think. Yeah, definitely. And probably kind of like the last bastion of the original blockbuster, minus uh, Christopher Nolan stuff, is kind of Avatar. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And it's kind of something that this idea of sort of origin originality is. It's increasingly difficult to identify mm-hmm. in that the traditional sense. Because it's highly unlikely that like an original high concept blockbuster gets made. Because people don't want to give money to something completely unproven. That's why most blockbusters are based on books or comics. Yeah. That has that proven success beforehand. And that's why kind of Avatar is one of the last really huge blockbusters. Mm-hmm. And that kind of sums up the idea of kind of showing someone something completely new in that it was one of the first times we had this massive visual all CGI world. Yeah, that for 2009 looks extraordinary and even if people have kind of bashed it since and said that it wasn't as good as people made it out to be I think it does a massive disservice to how big of a thing it was at the time yeah definitely and that and all this isn't to say that there is no kind of origin, originality and you can't have the originality I think a good example is that some people forget that Jurassic Park was based on a book yeah, that's true. And several kind of blockbusters these days are comic book movies. So it's kind of the idea of what is original has changed. Um, it's bec- it's become about finding a new source of originality within that sort of new system of using things that people are already familiar with. Yeah. And personally, I know that this, this might not be something, an opinion that other people share, but I think that's how the MCU has been able to remain alive for as long as it has. Mm-hmm. Is that it's managed to kind of reinvent itself on several occasions. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's kind of one of the big kind of things that people talk about, or at least I think of when you think of kind of blockbuster films. Yeah, the kind of like you say with Marvel, they've they ha- they've, they've taken source material that is like a provable thing where people are going to see it, and more often than not, they do kind of at least try with. Each every every film to be like this film's not exactly a superhero film. It's kind of a heist mm-hmm. film. This one's kind of yeah. a a weird Sam Raimi horror film. <laughs> uh, it's all under the bar like the umbrella of superhero film, but it's there's variations on the like the color of that umbrella, I guess. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think I think yeah, we're saying with a variation and originality is very important. And yeah, I feel I feel like Avatar <clears throat> Avatar is like it's kind of the last there have been blockbusters that have been successful since then like you can imagine like June stuff like that but yeah. <clears throat> Avatar really is like kind of this weird very strange like thing isn't it <laughs> like yeah, it is. it's this film about you know like about these blue alien people on Pandora and it's about it's like two hours and a half two hours 40 minutes something like that um, and it's entirely CGI, CGI animated almost um, and like it's it's still amazing. I don't know if if you yourself went or anyone listening, but I went to go see the uh, the IMAX uh, remastering of it recently, um, the big IMAX 3D screen, and 
it looks great still um mm-hmm. it's kind of amazing that it's a film from 2009 and like so much of that film still is completely astounding and i think i think a lot of that has to do with i think with cgi especially it it's kind of weird because it can do anything almost um and there are so many things that you see in, in movies every day that you don't think too much about um yeah you go back to the 90s and you see like the first liquid terminator and it's like the most amazing thing in the world and that's you know that's a character who has like maybe 20 shots in that film where he's doing something cgi related Mm -hmm. (laughs) um compared to now where every shot in a movie is cgi (laughs) um and like all the, the amazing things that they can do but you don't really think about it you don't really get amazed by it and i think what avatar has and what films that fold in footsteps have is I think what amazes everyone about that film still now is that it's using CGI a lot, but it's using it to create an entirely new world and an entirely new, like, a new, literally a new world and a literally a new mm-hmm. sort of sci-fi idea and concept. And it's doing all of that with these this really big toolbox um, yeah. and doing it really well. Um, and I feel like that's what amazes us more when it comes to CGI now. It's less so like the one impressive effect about you know a villain who can transform into whatever it's more like it's using cgi to literally like un like break the box and kind of like you can do whatever you want and you can make this massive thing um that is huge and but also has a really ultimately quite a small story leading you through it with uh, uh jake sully and his kind of introduction into that world um mm-hmm. yeah and i feel like i guess one of my i had like one kind of somewhat negative example here for blockbuster because i would say it's a good movie it's a, a strong movie but it's like a i think when you look at the chronology of blockbusters in hollywood i feel like it's the first example of a studio realizing oh we don't have to you know make a a film that is original and amazing and like creative and all that to get like a box office return but we can rather just take from uh, source material and that is enough to kind of get the hype train going and i feel like the first example of that properly is probably the batman film from 1989 um Mm -hmm. it's it's like it's it's a strong film i feel like we both share that very similar opinion about it where it's kind of it's good but it's not quite great um it's kind of this like this it's more of a visual tim burton experience and a a strong script really um yeah but the you know that film got a lot of money and i mean people look back on 1989 and i hear this term all the time where it was the year of the batman because <laughs> like the marketing team went crazy um and yeah i feel like that was kind of one, of the, one not the first but maybe a really strong example of uh just taking some source material and going that's enough to make a blockbuster um which unfortunately has sometimes came across and uh, a terrible sort of way um, from that um, mm-hmm. where you get films that are green light just, just because it's a name and what that script is or how that director sees it isn't really important, it's more just the name is enough um, Yeah, so I think yeah, I feel like the blockbusters at their worst are just kind of, yeah, like just the name really um, and kind of just getting by on the steam of that um, mm-hmm. but like you're saying I think yeah, I feel like films like Avatar and films like, yeah, like like the Marvel films, where you may have your 
issues with them and variations of liking them because I feel like they're all so like they're all like quite different so you're bound to dislike one way more than the other for example yeah but there is reinvention constantly happening with Marvel and whether you think I think for me personally for example I feel like the whole TV show thing has kind of been a bit of a a mixed bag Um, Mm -hmm. but they have tried it out and I think Marvel more than most studios do learn from their mistakes um, mm-hmm. Like I feel like, for example, with Iron Man two, for example, like they really realize like we can't just make films that that are adverts because <laughs> um, it it gets in the way of just making a good film. Um, so yeah, I feel like yeah, there's yeah, I feel like the worst thing a blockbuster can be is just this uncreative, unoriginal thing that's getting by on the name alone. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So do you have any more like kind of better examples than? One of the things that you also... Um, and it, I'm using the word avatar in this, but I'm not specifically referring to avatar. Mm-hmm. Probably a poor choice of words, really. <laughs> but um, like an avatar-type character. Mm-hmm. And by that I mean is you see it a lot where the character kind of is something of a placeholder for the audience. Yeah, right. Um, I think some examples... Um, it kind of often that happens with films that do have quite a big concepts often sci-fi or big fantasy type things mm. um one of the big examples i tend to think of is thomas anderson for the matrix yeah he's the most like somehow compelling blank slate human being <laughs> yeah um to some degree i think it applies to like alan grant in mm. jurassic park yeah kind of i think as well one example i'm kind of going to talk about a bit more is sarah connor mm-hmm. i'm also going to talk about ray because i want to get a mention of ray in there somewhere <laughs> yeah um, well, basically, what I kind of mean is that they're not necessarily characters that are completely blank, mm-hmm. but they're characters who like, know nothing of the world that we're being thrown into. Yeah, I can't remember the character's name, but the um, the off- the police officer in Jaws as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they're kind of kind of avenues for the film to explain things to the audience. Basically, mm-hmm. they are. They function partly in in a way as like exposition avenues. Yeah. Um, and I think it is kind of becoming rarer because audiences have developed less of a need for like, the characters to be as blank and to have as much explained to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and audiences like are more willing to engage with bigger concepts. I think a good example that people kind of mock a lot is um, an EMP. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, there's a stretch of films in like the eighties and the two thousands where Every time somebody used an, an EMP, uh, they needed to explain it. Yeah. <laughs> so it was always it always went something like an EMP, a watt. Oh, it's an ele- it's an electromagnetic pulse <laughs> that disables all technology. Yeah. Whereas now, now you just say, oh yeah, it's an EMP, and everyone knows. <laughs> everyone knows. Yeah. It's uh, it's it always makes me laugh whenever I watch a film from that era, and it's it's almost the exact same dialogue each time <laughs> yeah it is someone says EMP the and then the person goes EMP and then they go oh it's a <laughs> yeah, yeah every time yeah yeah um, and I think there are examples where this can go wrong you know you end up with a character in that case who is just so so boring because they don't have a personality yeah because they're there to just have everything explained to them mm-hmm. I think strangely one of the examples of that is it's a long time since I've seen it, so I could be completely wrong. But it tends to be how I remember uh, Ready Player One. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I kind of just remember that 
that protagonist is being kind of flat and mm-hmm. just has stuff explained to him for yeah two hours. I remember that character being very much just a character who is, I guess, relatable, but then he just he just seems so blank and he has nothing to do with like himself. That makes sense. He has nothing like in his self to work on. It's just sort of he lives about the world. And I think at some point he meets a girl. <laughs> um, and it's just sort of, yeah, this big sort of whatever um, character. Yeah. I think one of the biggest crimes um, that film attempts is trying to convince the audience that Olivia Cook is ugly. <laughs> yeah, they do try that, don't they? <laughs> it's one of the most baffling things. Yeah. It's like, how are you even trying mm-hmm. to do that? So I, remember that? I think the film was trying to make the comparison between like her avatar in that digital world. And like the shock of how she actually looks in the real world, and yeah. I like I don't, I was like looking at this, and I was like, I don't get what you're going for here. <laughs> it's not like a, I think it's going for like disappointment, but it's like no, <laughs> it's weird. Yeah, it's a weird choice. But yeah, you kind of have to be clever and engaging about this, and it ties a lot into exposition. Mm. And this is kind of one of the, one of the best examples I can think of. Like one of the more classic examples is Terminator. Yeah, and Sarah Connor definitely. Yeah, in that she has no idea what's going on. And things are kind of explained to her. Yeah, but they're explained to her in like a rush. <laughs> yeah, I think I've got it written down. I've got the quote written down where it's kind of like an iconic little monologue mm. where Kyle Reese just tells her, it can't be bargained with, it can't be reasoned with, it doesn't It doesn't feel pity or remorse or fear, and it absolutely will not stop ever until you are dead. Mm. No more... No, Nothing's needed more than that. Yeah, they don't need to explain why the war happened, what is AI really. like. It's not really about that. It is mm. about the the pure terror of like this almost like horror villain character just chasing after this person. Um, and again, like I feel like the, the great thing with a, a point-of-view character is you in that first film, you can really like relate to them and get the story across through them. But mm. going into sequels, for example, you can do some really interesting things where and I feel like Sarah Connor is the best example of like, she like does a 180. <laughs> yeah, she uh, does. Becomes like this really flawed but very protective and understandable like protector mentor figure in the film. Yeah. And John Connor becomes a bit more of the, the point of view character, but even then he's like not quite the same level of like being explained things to. Because um, yeah. everyone almost in the film knows about what's going on. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, that was kind of what I, uh, one example I was going to lead to is that. They kind of flip it with John Connor in that it's a new film, it's kind of a new character, but that that this new character knows exactly the same amount as you do going in. Yeah, yeah. And then they get a play um, of that because you can, you can do that twist where the Terminator is a protector in that one. Um, mm, which I, yeah. I still think, I know they ruined it in the trailer apparently back in the day, but even though I know that twist, I always think that moment where they meet in that hallway and the Terminator shoots the T-1000. I still think that's one of the best, like, twisty sort of moments in the film. <laughs> it's still it is. so good. Yeah, I, agree. I, I completely agree. Um, it's one of just the... And it, it works so well because of the rules that are established in the first film and how they're kind of... They're not concrete, not every, not every detail's explained. Mm. And a lot of what you need to know just comes from, like, the inherent tension and the terror of... Like the genre of the film, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Like you, you're given that monologue, and you're given a little bit of the fact he's an android from the future. But other than that, that's all the kind of dialogue you need. The rest of it is in the way that he just 
destroys that police station. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's kind of everything summed up. Mm. And kind of building off on that, one of the, I've talked about this so many times, <laughs> but one of the best examples of this I can find is Rey in Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Especially when she's first introduced in The Force Awakens in that she is, everything she knows or thinks she knows is similar to that of the audience so that when she meets characters like Han Solo and Chewbacca and Luke Skywalker, she kind of has the same sense of awe that the audience does. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's the perfect balance because, as you've mentioned before, it's kind of you that picked up on this one of the earlier ones, is that Ray's introduction is absolute perfection. It is, yeah. It's one of the... Like that sequence when she's introduced is just perfect. Yeah, it's like a, it's for me, it's, it, everything. it's quite a big highlight of the entire saga for me. It's her, like, five-minute or more dialogue free uh, introduction in that scene everything everything you need to know is going to buy and she has that she has that perfect level of her own personality mm. and her own motivations as well as that kind of that kind of space within her where <clears throat> the exposition can be used to explain things to the audience mm-hmm. and for me I think she is like she is probably one of the greatest and probably one of the last examples of that kind of a character being used that way, mm-hmm. and again, it's a similar thing with uh, the idea that the sequel can do something really interesting with that. Where, see, in that first film, Force Awakens, he's such like a an audience stand-in for much of it because he saw, in the same way we were back then, like we're so yeah. hyped around what is Luke Skywalker doing <laughs> um, to like. Yeah. So when his name is mentioned and her reaction is so like it is, it's our reaction really. Um, and you get so much of that, and she gets to have again like a whole, her own story going on. But and then I love that the fact that when you get to the Last Jedi, and she's with Luke Skywalker, it, it's just a great audience stand-in thing again because it's getting challenged mm-hmm. really well. The idea of yeah. what the character is and the reality of what he actually is, um, and I, and it had that. I think that whole trilogy has one of the greatest kind of like being really proud of a character. It's really hard to describe, but. Um, mm-hmm. kind of because I remember watching the, the Rise of Skywalker and it got like halfway through the film and I realised that Rey was properly like the main character of this film and she was carrying quite a lot of the film on her back um, mm-hmm. and I was just, I just I was so proud of the character <laughs> it was really weird because I as much as I love The Force Awakens and especially for me The Last Jedi um, I she's not you know she is the main character in a sense but she's you know, those films, the hype around those films and, like, kind of the the promise of what might happen near the end of the film is Luke Skywalker and Han and Leia uh, and Kylo and who, who is he and how is he related to this? And then to kind of slowly get through episode 7, through episode 9 and get to that last film and it's it's pretty much, for the most part, a film about that main trio is... I just love that and I love how it grows into becoming a full-on, like... Yeah, the past is great, and you know we love the original trilogy and parts of the, the prequels too. But this, these these films are about these characters, and they maintain that, and then they really get to the to the for me for the last film is like that film is the sequel trio trilogy like film. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, I love that, and I think kind of like when you're talking there about the point of view characters, um, it's kind of weird. Cause I'm kind of it's kind of a negative, but also a positive because. I feel like these films have both like what we we're talking about talking about before, but like being really original. But I feel like they lack that point of view character, which is uh, the prequels. Um, mm-hmm. I quite like the prequels. I think I can never really tell, because <laughs> um, on the one hand, it has that blockbuster thing of being 
really original and really quite just mm-hmm. it's totally free to do what it wants to do and it does exactly what it wants to do um but it has that unfortunate kind of misstep ironically because the original trilogy did it so well with luke skywalker but it has that misstep of it's a great world it's a great idea and it's a great exploration of the world previously opened up to us in the original trilogy but there's not really a point of view character there um mm-hmm. you, you can argue it's anakin but he's not really in the first film especially um no he's not in it enough to be classed as that yeah and it's in, in that first film it's really hard to discern who is the main character because um, like I guess it's Qui-Gon because he's there the entire film doing his own thing but he's not like he's not learning anything he's not growing he's not unaware of anything he's just sort of doing the plot I guess um, Padme is in the background uh, Darth Maul is, doesn't have dialogue I mean like yeah the prequels have that that unfortunate kind of like he just does a good job with exploring the world expanding it and not just retreading old ground, but it's unfortunate that the way you did that was so kind of just, just let's just show it and hope that everyone gets on board with it instead of having almost like a human sort of surrogate character there just to be like, what is this? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it's, be, it's been mentioned before countless times, but I feel like in a big, weird sci-fi series, you need a Han Solo type to be like, what is this? <laughs> like. I don't like this. <laughs> I just want to get home. I want to get the money. I want to go. You need some sort of just like a guy who hates it almost sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and the prequels just have like, up until the third one, I would say, the, pre- the prequels had like characters with, with very little personality. Um, and yeah, it's really unfortunate because I want to like the characters in the prequels, but I don't like them until the third film. And then by the halfway point of the third film, they're trying to kill each other. <laughs> so yeah. it's just, yeah, I just wish that the yeah, the prequels have, yeah, so, I, yeah, they're kind of an example of two sides of one coin of like, it's great that they, they did what they did, but at the same time, it didn't uh, help the audience mm. very much the way that a blockbuster should probably take care of the audience more. Yeah, that's the kind of the Avatar type character. But point of view is probably a better way of phrasing it, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the. Um, I think there's a name for it actually, but I forget. But <laughs> yeah. Do you have another kind of concept or? Uh, film? Yeah, um, I think for me, a, a perfect example of a blockbuster that is just, it's just a concept really, and it has a plot, but it's the very it's a very simple plot, um, and it's just mostly about the spectacle of, of like just this crazy world and these crazy characters. Uh, and that example for me is uh, is Mad Max Fury Road. Um, <laughs> I just I love that film so much. Um, it, it's a perfect example of the. It has again like it has that point of the character, in a sense with uh, Mad Max because even though he's been there for a while, he's going to a new area in that world. Um, and Furiosa is kind of a, a kind of a. She's kind of more than more of the main character in that film than actually Mad Max, but. Um, I think it's just a a beautiful film of like, it's just so simple, um, and it, like I think the way the director in, intend for it to be viewed almost without sound is, mm-hmm. it's just a good idea because that film works completely visually. Um, it has great music and great sound, but that's a film of like just escalating tension and escalating action, and 
it never gets lost in that, it never gets boring, it never gets dull. It's just these set pieces connected by likable characters in a weird world. <laughs> um, and I never get bored of it, and it's just... Yeah, I, how do you feel about Mad Max Fury Road? I think it's difficult to explain and difficult for me to kind of get the words out. Mm. But in terms of action, in both literal and sort of thematic sense it's a film whose action is constantly kind of moving forward yeah like almost like literally yeah <laughs> um, yeah it is, it is literally the vehicles are always moving forward mm-hmm. yeah um but it kind of channels that in sort of the theme of it and it's one of those films that is just quite incredible in how it can keep moving it can keeps moving at the, the pace it does while not feeling rushed and not feeling poorly paced yeah um, and to have that, and to also, you know, to have that kind of that hev- quite heavy action focus, and to have quite quite an out there concept as well, mm-hmm. because for for many audience members, they might kind of be a bit weirded out by what's going on in the world. <laughs> yeah, but to have quite a strong character journey within that mm-hmm. is quite an accomplishment, because um, like Max has. He has quite the strong kind of learning journey. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> throughout that film, uh-huh. and and I think that sort of whether it's true or not that him and um, Charlize Theron did genuinely hate each other, <laughs> yeah. but their kind of dynamic in that film is just electric. Mm-hmm. It, um, yeah, I think. Yeah. When I think about that film and how it gets across its character arcs and its action, it's so like. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the big word for me, like another sort of thing that I need in a blockbuster, which is uh, clarity. Um, mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of greatness in being subtle and being kind of a bit, a bit uh, not directionless, but uh, unclear. I think there's a lot of mystery you can build from that. But sometimes with a blockbuster, you just need them. To, you just need them to tell tell you what it is, and then they do that. <laughs> like, um, and that is what my Max does because it just tells you what it is. And it does it for two hours, and um, I think that as well. Like the clarity of just it's the plot is essentially that this woman turns left instead of going right on a on a road, <laughs> and that starts a whole a vehicle chase that, that lasts for about two hours. I think that's just a great idea, and it's so clear. And the film is always telling you where the characters are going. Um, the the shots mm-hmm. are always highlighting who's who and wh- like where's like where are we and where's the villain and where's the hero and all that sort of thing and it's just such a clear a very clear exercise in how much can we tell through visuals and how much can we get away with not thin characters but very i don't know how to put it like very definitive obvious characters because there is subtlety in there with the performances but there is also just on the page at least it is very clear that Mad Max is that guy <laughs> and you know <laughs> Furiosa is that person and mm-hmm. the villain is very much a villain <laughs> um, and it, it just does it so well and I think it's a testament to what a film can do when it's given uh, so a lot of money and also a lot of vision um, mm-hmm. so I think that's what I look for the most in a blockbuster is because I, I love my indie films my like anything small I love it but there are times where imagine like being given that much money and that big of a canvas <laughs> uh, that big of a canvas to work on and 
like what could be done with that if you just gave it to someone in a team who had like a very strong vision um it's just that's just endlessly like exciting for me um because i i love uh you know you can really enjoy experience where it's a lot of money it's a big canvas but the vision is kind of a bit all over the place but it's getting by um but when you come across like a dune for example or mm-hmm. uh, a max Fury road it's just the best thing like it's so good because like it's just so clear that it's doing what it wants to do um and it has the ability to do that on the biggest level possible which is a blockbuster level um yeah so i think mm-hmm. mad max Fury road is just uh just such a great example of just like this vision like you know <laughs> this pure yeah. like I know what I'm doing. I know what it wants to look like. I know what it needs to sound like. We're doing it. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And there's like a lot of pre-planning as well, which I feel like, I feel like we're losing that a bit recently with pre-production. I think for some reason, pre-production on, on movies is getting weirdly hectic. <laughs> um, yeah. and there's a lot of changes going on before a film was made. And then somehow there's now changes happening during production as well with uh, reshoots. So whenever you come across a project where it's just pre-production is like this just they know what they're doing <laughs> they do it and edit it it is out <laughs> it's it's kind of becoming more and more rare that happens but when mm-hmm. it happens it's, it's so good um yeah so i think mad max is just one of the best examples of that for me um yeah i don't know if you have anything else to add to that or a new film no yeah i think it is that example of it's just pure vision realized mm. yeah. and it's 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 weirdly it's weirdly difficult to kind of visualize or make make it into something more tangible, mm. but it is just pure vision, and it's the kind of thing that makes you you watch and you think, "What is going on in this man's head?" <laughs> yeah, if this is the kind of thing he produces. But then again, films are all the better for it, mm. especially from the guy who made Happy Feet. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> just such a wow. Yeah. <laughs> And there's the prequel happening for that as well, and the few not not Happy Feet, <laughs> yeah. Mad Max. Never know. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah. they're getting uh, Theory also right. Yeah, with, with um, Anna Taylor Joy, is it? Yeah, I think that's the one. Wow. Okay. And Chris Hemsworth. Oh right, okay. <laughs> not Liam Hemsworth. <laughs> no, not Liam Hemsworth. No Geralt. All <laughs> uh, right. <laughs> yeah. So, do you have anything else to uh, any other examples? I suppose kind of the. I know we've we've kind of talked about this before when we've had like a specific episode on sequels, mm-hmm. but I think it's kind of worth noting that you know potentially some of the biggest blockbusters are sequels. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. There there is that reputation for films. You know, if you talk about a sequel, it's easy to think of something like the sequel to the Jaws films. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You have the idea that Jaws is probably the one of the very first summer blockbusters. Mm. And then the films that follow it are, shall we say, more infamous than famous. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but then you have some other films. I mean, Jurassic Park is also another one um, that kind of suffers from that a little bit. Yeah, yeah. But there are some of the some of the greatest blockbuster examples are are sequels, and I think aside from obviously my opinions on kind of Star Wars and Marvel and my love for them are well known, mm-hmm. um, but kind of the two kind of classic sequel films that are lauded by a lot of many people are both James Cameron films mm-hmm. you know Terminator 2 and Aliens 
And the reason I kind of mentioned both of them is because they both do something very important. And that's they both build on what the first film establishes in particularly unique, yet strangely simple ways. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes when sequels do things that are simple, it comes across as, you know, just the first thing that came to their minds. But for these films, they just... The twists from the first film are so simple, yet they just work. Yeah. And that is that for Terminator, it's just simply that the Terminator is now the protector. Mm-hmm. And for Aliens, is quite simply, it's, it's one letter. <laughs> yeah. It's that famous, I, I can't remember if it was you that told me, or if it's like a true story or whatever, but it's like a, a bit of a joke that, you know, James Cameron came into the pitching room, <laughs> Alien was written on the board, yeah. and he just put an S after it. <laughs> yeah. And that was his pitch. Yeah. And then you put like the dollar sign through the S. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I guess he was right if he did do that. Uh, he did. He was right. <laughs> yeah, I've never known if that story's true or not. Yeah, I don't know either. You know, it's just a a weird story that is definitely like a joke. But I believe mm. he would do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so the, the the thing for that is just that there's just more of them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yet you have produced their two blockbusters that are. They are perhaps the two greatest action blockbusters, like pure action mm-hmm. blockbusters out there. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they are, they are films that are truly worthy of that status. They are exceptional films, mm-hmm. and they're the kind of films whose legacy, even after all this time, is kind of unquestioned. I personally don't think people talk about Aliens enough. Mm. Um, people talk plenty about Terminator Two, but Aliens still kind of feels like it's under talked about. I know, I know what you mean. I feel like it's it's whenever people talk about it, it's always like people love it and it's great. But it never, mm-hmm. it's kind of more and more rarely gets brought up in conversation as like a great action film. Yeah, um, um, and one of the things I've talked about before is how the theatrical cut of that film undermines the whole thing with like one of the scenes they cut. Mm, yeah, because if you watch Aliens anywhere now, it includes the scene. Like if it's on streaming or anything. It tends to have the scene included in it, and it's when Ripley's told that her daughter uh, uh, had passed away because she'd been in space for about ninety years or something. Yeah. And that that scene that makes the whole thing work. <laughs> yeah. It's one of those instances where it is just truly baffling as to why that was cut, because that just transforms the film into something that kind of goes beyond just an action film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it just it adds just missing sort of puzzle piece almost that yeah to the whole thing where it it works without it but it works so much better with it really yeah mm. and basically I've gone on a bit of a tangent there talking about these two films <laughs> but what I'm basically saying about this kind of simple twist is that the important kind of thing is when coming to like these big sequels in making them good is that they take what somebody knows about the first film and just builds on it as at the same time as comes whipping it out from under your feet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It challenges everything you know about the first film, it builds on it and it just dials the threat mm-hmm. completely up. It removes what 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 helped the 
the characters in the first film is almost removed mm-hmm. and then what the threat to them is enhanced and it's the kind of just the perfect kind of dynamic tension you get yeah yeah um and that's what kind of the, your best sequels manage mm. and i feel like the opposite is true of sequels where it's the bad example for me is always when people make sequels are essentially the first film again or even at some point mm. Like, yeah. like doing it, hitting the rewind button on the first film. Like, for me, for example, I always think back to uh, it's a very kind of it's a very obscure film. That I feel people haven't you know watched it recently, but <laughs> Ben and Black Two always mm-hmm. comes to me as like a film where it's like, all right, we're doing the same thing again essentially, but yeah. this time we're un- <laughs> we're undoing the ending of the last one because we're getting Tommy Jones back. <laughs> like, it's just such like a I don't like sequels that actively like almost throw the last one in the bin <laughs> um mm-hmm. so yeah i totally agree that the best sequels and the best like blockbusters that take like the baton i guess from the previous one tend to do something in the same genre but just completely different in a way um which is yeah terminate 2 and, and aliens are great examples of that definitely mm-hmm. yeah that's kind of the last of the, the main three ideas that i had mm. um yeah well i think I think for me, I mean, the only one I had an example of at that was uh, just uh, the Avengers, really. I just thought mm-hmm. it's kind of a, an obvious thing now. You look back like, oh, yeah, of course that would work. But it, it you know, it could have easily have not worked. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, so much of phase one is, like, you have Iron Man, which is a great film, and you have these kind of middling films in the middle there, and you have these solid pretty good films as like the origin of, of four and uh captain america and like i think what's so remarkable about that first avengers film for me is that it, it i feel like with marvel something they're kind of lost but and not entirely but i think in this first avengers film you can really feel it in, in a kind of a different way um is that captain america that first film holds almost no resemblance in any way to the first iron man film um, mm-hmm. And similarly, like, four does not really meld together with an Incredible Hulk. <laughs> like it's it, it, like those films, they're like good to great or sometimes okay, but they don't feel like they should mix. Um, especially Iron Man, when you think about like how the first shot in the MCU was off a desert with a desert with a uh, military jeeps going across. Like it's so rooted in reality compared to. Uh, Captain America, the first adventure where it's just kind of like this weird 1930s, 40s kind of world where te- technology is a bit advanced but not quite advanced and mm-hmm. this kind of this old kind of serial charm to it but, and it shouldn't mix well but I think it's just, just a testament to the writing on that film and the the overall direction of it where by that point where you get to the third act and they're all in New York and Captain America is leading the team and are all on screen together, and it's totally mm. working. Um, yeah, it's a miracle. It is a miracle. Um, <laughs> it like it, it just shouldn't. It doesn't feel like it should have worked, but it did. Um, and I feel like what's great about that film, especially, is that they didn't just kind of go, okay, well, Iron Man was the most successful one, therefore we're going to build the tone on that. Um, it's more going to be. It's going to be a film where everyone else kind of succumbs to the Iron Man tone and world. It's going to be a film instead where they're all still very different. Like, 
Four talks like four from that movie. <laughs> like he's not, he is still doing his weird accent, <laughs> uh, his very grand sort of Shakespearean monologues. Um, Captain America is insanely earnest still, um, and he's very much like a, a goody two shoes, and they don't disregard that. Um, and Iron Man, of course, is Iron Man <laughs> and all that. And I guess, and also Mark Ruffalo is the Hulk. I think it's so weird looking back now and thinking about it going any other way, but. That was his first time in the MCU as a as an actor, mm-hmm. and he and looking back on that film because I watched it quite recently, just kind of like a like a lazy Sunday, I guess. I kind of just wanted to rewatch it and see how I felt about it, and he's kind of the highlight. It's um, it's weird. I I, I kind of forgot how good he is in that first film, um, and how well he plays the Hulk in that film, and especially Bruce Banner uh, when he's on that on the um, the helicarrier, and he looks so awkward, <laughs> just kind of. Yeah really out of place um, and yeah I just think that first film just captures it captures everything that made the previous films work and then somehow made a plot and a tone and a theme where they all mix together well but don't detract from each other it's it is a small mm-hmm. miracle that that film is as good as it is and therefore obviously led to the entire MCU from that really um, yeah so yeah I just yeah I think I think it's just yeah I think that film is I guess the best modern example of that form of storytelling working because we have seen examples where that hasn't worked um, with DC kind of rushing along with the whole process I guess and then kind of at the last second like pulling the plug but still mm-hmm. making the film like <laughs> um, yeah. weirdly um, yeah so it could have went wrong and I feel like it's I feel like whenever I hear people say uh Marvel, especially the Avengers films, are their generation Star Wars. I totally get it, and I'm I'm happy that like my generation and previous and post us is like we have that is their kind of big blockbuster event is these mm-hmm. characters coming together and working together and not just not just in like a film sense of that they come together to save the world and all that, but also in the, in the sense of like creatively, like <laughs> you can mix these different things and it can totally work. You just if you just nail down the characteristics between each person. Um, yeah, so I think, well, I, I feel like you would agree because you love the, the Avengers films. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> I was about to ask you there, like, what do you think about the Avengers? <laughs> um, yeah, I, you just, I think it's the best, like, modern example of, like, pure just ba- a balancing act that works so well. It's the kind of thing that just shouldn't have worked, but it did. Mm. And it did to such spectacular results. Yeah. Um, just just melding those, even even if you're talking just kind of script form, mm-hmm. just to meld all those characters and their voices. I, I especially if you remember that there's the scene where they're kind of arguing. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure most of them are in the room at that point. Mm-hmm. And each even it, not just the kind of the the way that they're saying the lines obviously is unique because each actor's portraying it because they know the character but even kind of the words themselves like the, the voices of them are so clear mm-hmm. yeah. like even if you didn't if you if you saw it on paper and you didn't have the names on yeah you would know who was saying what line definitely yeah um and that you know it's it's such an accomplishment for that film and it you know its legacy is is obvious mm. it's Unavoidable, you might say. Even. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I mean, personally, I would say that, that is completely justified because it is, like you said, it's a miracle of a film. And I think as well, when you 
with blockbusters as well, you want the sort of iconic sort of moments and lines. And mm -hmm. whilst we have that across the board of a lot of films recently, I feel like the Avengers has so many iconic lines in it. Um, yeah. Like that, again, like you're saying that that whole argument scene, like when uh, Captain America and Tony Stark are arguing for the first time, like every line in that is so good um, mm, and absolutely so quotable and it's across the board it's, it's just a good it's a, it's a good summer blockbuster and it's all again it's so clear in what it is and what it's doing and mm -hmm. what the threat is and what the conflict is and what the characters are doing and it just it never it never gets murky despite being yeah. about six different completely different people <laughs> in the same room <laughs> um, yeah yeah it's just yeah it's a, an, an amazing sort of achievement that is still is still to now like even though we're so used to it now it's still amazing really yeah, yeah. it is it's yeah it's legacy is still going mm. and yeah i think that's for me that's kind of my last big example of a, a great blockbuster um ending with the marvel that's what i like to see yeah but ending on marvel <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah have you got anything else to add to the to the list yeah no i, I don't have any others that's that's me out right so i get give uh, bring it to a close you can do cool well i hope you if you're listening you <laughs> you're still listening uh that you <laughs> enjoyed this whole thing because i feel like i feel like everyone's got a blockbuster that they love um mm -hmm. so if you're listening on any sort of uh spotify or whatever or on instagram post even uh, comment below let us know any of your favorites and any sort of mm -hmm. examples of your favorite moments even in a blockbuster um it'd be great to hear and we'll get back to you if we can um yeah but yeah i just yeah uh, once again, let you know that we have an Instagram account at Marvelous Cinema Podcast. Um, currently, just doing reviews. Uh, usually, we do like we usually do like a franchise, but at the moment, I'm just kind of doing whatever I'm watching, really. Um, so yeah. yeah, check over there just to see if you like any of the reviews. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, podcast every week now. We're back. <laughs> uh, I think every Wednesdays is our new day. I think yeah, maybe. yeah. Wednesday, Wednesday makes sense. <laughs> Why not? Yeah, we'll be like the. What do you call it? The, the midweek sort of... Is it the midweek lump? Hump? What was it? <laughs> I don't know, but we, we, we can say we're giving people the push they need to the weekend. Yeah, that's what we're doing. Um, providing a service. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I hope you enjoyed this episode, and yeah, see you again soon. Yeah, see ya. Thank you. Bye.